Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC London, Tom Aspinall taking on Curtis Blades live at the O2 Arena for us Americans and us in the North America. It's going to be going down this Saturday afternoon. But for those in the UK, it's this Saturday night live. And oh my God, you guys already know the energy for these UK cards, especially when one of y'all's own is uh, is fighting in the main event. And this this card just in general is not going to disappoint. They never disappoint overseas across the pond, as they like to say. And I'm just so excited to get down to business and talk about this main event, talk about the rest of the fights. And I know a lot of people have some some serious uh, opinionated opinions on, uh, you know, is Tom Aspinall ready for this? What happens if Tom Aspinall gets taken down? What's his ground game like? This and that. Okay, we well, we got a lot to talk about because you know we're not going to just cro- uh, gloss over things of that nature. Those are some the most important talking points of this fight. So a lot to get down to. So without further ado, let's get right down to business. Before we start, everyone do do me a huge favor, smash that like button, hit the subscribe button, and uh, let's get down, let's get down to business. So main event of the evening in the heavyweight division, we got Curtis Blades representing the United States of America. He's 16 and three, taking on Tom Aspinall, who represents the UK, who is 12 and 2. And currently they got it. Tom Aspinall minus 130. The comeback on Curtis on Curtis Razor Blades is plus 110. So Vegas. Vegas was saying minus 108 a piece, minus 110 a piece. Y'all decide where you want this line to go. And surprisingly based off what i've been seeing on twitter surprisingly it's gone the opposite way you know everyone seems so overconfident on curtis blades but the action's going the other way it seems like uh whether you want to say it was the uk faithful that got the money down or whether you want to say it was the sharps and the syndicates that got the money down bottom line the money came in on tom aspinall moved the line he's currently a minus 130 favorite and is that justified or not? So lot, lot, lots of questions here, you know. And firstly, let's start off by giving Curtis Blades a lot of credit because this is a guy that's been paying his dues in the UFC since made his UFC debut. Guess what? So this guy goes out there, makes his UFC debut in 2016 against the current champion, Francis Ngannou. But at that time, just two prospects trying to make a name for themselves. And things didn't go Curtis Blades' way. But since that point, I mean, he put up a big win streak. And why did he, uh, why was the Adam Milstead fight a no contest? Was 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 uh, Curtis Blades smoking on that Colorado reefer? Is that what happened? And they kind of overturned it a little bit. Some bullshit. But bottom line, Curtis Blades went on a six-fight win streak as far as I'm concerned until he met Francis Ngannou again. Yeah, you can't hold that against them. You know, he, he lost to the great Francis Ngannou. Oh, well, but look at some of these other performances he's had. Because, you know, for someone that's got this reputation of just being a wrestler, and don't get me wrong, the wrestling is on point, I think there's other areas that you need to give a lot of credit to Curtis Blades for. In the Mark Hunt fight, which he fought Mark Hunt in Australia, by the way, that first round, man, he goes out there, he gets floored, and... 
not none of us would have held it against him if if Mark Hunt had his signature walk-off knockout and you know Curtis Blades goes on to live the fight another day, but Curtis Blades digs deep, bites down on that mouthpiece, and comes back there and wins the second and third round against Mark Hunt in Australia. And then he had his signature performance at the time against Alistair Overeem, where he broke his face with those elbows from guard. So, I mean, Curtis Blades had a lot of momentum going into that second Francis Ngannou fight. Got stopped in uh, 45 seconds uh, in that Francis Ngannou fight. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where the fight prior for Francis Ngannou, he had that boring fight with Derek Lewis where he lost his confidence because of the previous fight against Stipe Miocic where, you know, he was taken down a bunch of times. And after that, you know, it seemed like, oh, maybe Francis isn't going to quite pan out, this and that. So Francis went through his struggles, man. I mean, the first Stipe fight then the Derek Lewis fight. Then he faces Curtis Blades, and Francis Ngannou was an underdog in that fight. Everyone was saying all, all Curtis Blades has to do is just come out here, take this guy down, you know, uh, put the nail on the coffin, and, and Francis is about to be out the UFC. And the way it went down is, I mean, Francis Ngannou fires a nasty leg kick, hits him over the top, I think around. It was, it was either on the temple or on the ear. And um, then Curtis Blaze tries to get on a leg, and that gets stuffed, and he gets put out of there shortly after. But since that point, he picks himself up again after taking that L. Goes out there. You know, we don't got to talk about the big titty fight or, you know, I mean, the Shamil fight at the time was a good win, but the Junior Cigano fight, like, listen to this. Junior Cigano, Junior Dos, Dos Santos, he goes out there, stuffs the takedowns, and, man, uh it didn't matter that he stuffed the takedowns because Curtis Blades got him so worried about the entries on the takedowns that he was able to actually go out there and knock out Junior Dos Santos at the time. Then he had the Alexander Volkov fight. Now, there, there's a lot we got to talk about with this Alexander Volkov fight. This is actually going to be one of my main talking points, and it's not going to be my main talking point because Aspinall looked 10 times better against Volkov than... Uh, than Blades did because that would be bordering on the MMA math talk. And we know MMA math don't mean shit. So to me, that's really not that big of a deal. That one guy looked better against uh, the same opponent than the other. However, what we do need to address is that a lot of people are saying, well, all, all Curtis Blades needs to do, you know, let's say, let's say he can't just lay on him earlier, this and that, or let's say he can't catch him with a strike. I mean, this is heavyweight MMA, high variance. Anyone can go down. But let's talk about this. A lot of people are saying that all Blades needs to do is extend this fight. Hey, Curtis, you extend this fight, and then, uh, quote-unquote, automatically, you're going to win. And I just find that to be such an asinine argument for the sole fact that the last time I saw Curtis Blades go the championship rounds, let me remind you all what happened. So the fifth round of that fight against Volkov, all three judges unanimously scored that for Alexander Volkov. The fourth round against Volkov, you know, I'm talking about uh, Blades and Volkov, two of three judges scored the uh, the fourth round uh, for Alexander Volkov. So for people to be saying that, all, all you got to do is just extend this into the championship rounds and then you automatically win, I think that's complete bullshit because the last time I saw Curtis Blades go to the championship rounds, he was huffing and puffing that uh, Colorado... Uh, you know, that elevation training and that cardio uh, wasn't quite cutting it that night. Now, I think there's a reason why. I mean, let's pull up the stats real quick because back to the whole wrestler talk, which you guys know I love to bring up. 
This man landed 14 takedowns, but to take it a step further, he attempted 25 takedowns. So when you can attempt 25 takedowns in a fight, like, goddamn, like, that is uh, pretty impressive. And that is just going to tire you out. Like, even for, like, for jujitsu guys attempting takedowns, that's one thing. But for a high-level wrestler to be attempting those, that many takedowns, I mean, that many, 25 attempted takedowns, like, it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to get tired. So I guess we can cut them some slack. But the bottom line is everybody's saying all Blades needs to do is extend this fight. And I'm thinking to myself, the last time he got extended, he unanimously lost the fifth round. And two of, of, of three judges scored that fourth round for uh, Alexander Volkov. And Alexander Volkov, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, actually went out there and took down Curtis Blades in those later rounds. So just some food for thought. Then we got to talk about the infamous Derek Lewis fight with Curtis Blades. So I feel like there's a lot of mis misconceptions in that fight. You know, people are saying that, oh, he, he, he didn't try to take him down. He tried to stand up with Curtis, with uh, with Derek Lewis, and that's why he got knocked out. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, really? Because isn't, firstly, isn't Derek Lewis known for being the guy that literally gets taken down by everyone? but he's able to explode back up and then knock people out. Like, isn't that what Derek Lewis is known for? Like literally everybody can take him down. Aaliyah Latifi took him down. Alexei Olenek took him down. You know who couldn't take him down? Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades went 0 for 3 on takedown attempts against Derek Lewis and then was knocked out. So when people try to spin it and say that, oh, well, he was trying to bang with, uh, with Derek Lewis, the heaviest hitter in, in UFC history. That's why he got knocked out. Um, let's put some context on that. He went 0 for 3 on takedowns against Derek Lewis and then got knocked out. Actually got knocked out when he attempted his last takedown. So I'm just saying, guys, like, you know, are are these takedowns gonna be that readily available for Curtis Blades? You know, the Jerzino fight, uh man, uh, you know, he, the first three got stuff, man. The next three didn't, right? But uh, Jarzino stuffed three takedowns. But look, what I'm trying to get at is this. Blades brings a lot to the table. That last fight against Chris Dawkins didn't even attempt a single takedown. And I liked what I was seeing from Blades in that fight. He was switching his stances. He was establishing his jab. He had some really nice leg kicks. And when it was time for him to land his nice shot, and what happened was uh, Chris Dawkins tried to kind of go over the top with a loopy, loopy shot and Curtis Blades caught him straight down the pipe. And you guys know a straight shot is going to land there before a loopy shot. So that's exactly what happened. So props to Blades on a beautiful knockout his last time out. Now let's talk about this guy, Tom Aspinall. So Tom Aspinall, man, firstly, let me just say this. I've been betting Tom Aspinall. He's had how many UFC fights? He's had five UFC fights. I've bet him in four of his five UFC fights. The only one I didn't bet him on was the Spivak fight. I don't remember my reasoning. Maybe the line was too wide, which it turned out not to be too wide or whatever. But I bet him against Jay Collier at serious chalk straight. <laughs> the Alan Badeau fight. Listen to this. He was uh he was minus three fifty against Alan Badeau. And you guys know I don't ever rarely I rarely lay minus numbers like three fifty straight. I mean, last week, you know, we cashed on Yair plus one fifty five, Stoltz was plus one twenty four. I mean, I'll lay chalk from time to time, but for the most part, I'm an underdog guy. Well. I felt so confident laying minus 350 on Aspinall straight against Badeau. He ended up looking minus 3,500. The Andre Arlovsky fight, I think it was minus 200, minus 220. And like in that fight against uh, Andre Arlovsky, I mean, firstly, 
when you unload on a 50 strike combination on a guy, like no matter what, you're going to get a bit tired, but I don't think that's indicative of, you know, this guy having a suspect gas tank or this and that. I think that was just a case where, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> have you ever blown your load before? Like, doesn't it take like a little bit to recover after? Hey, props to y'all that can just go like, you know, two minutes later. But from for a lot of us, we got to wait, you know, a good 10, 15 minutes after you blow that load. Well, Tom Aspinall next round goes out there. And I mean, like, I get Arlovsky is a little bit older and this and that. But like, who goes out there and just one takedown immediately chokes him out right away, right after like that, like. You got to take note of these things just because they look easy doesn't mean you should discredit that, uh, you know, you should just discredit it. So that was one sign that, OK, maybe 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 this black bone jujitsu is not is not a bunch of uh, malarkey. You know, maybe this is maybe this is maybe this is serious. Right. The next fight against Sergey Spivak, you know, he stuffed the, the one takedown that Spivak attempted there, which. You know, put the stock you want to into it. I don't really need to hype it up that much, but hey, he still did stuff that takedown. But where I've been most impressed with his grappling was the most recent fight against Volkov. Now let's talk about this. So, firstly, that performance was a shutout in every area of the game: the stance switching, the punches, the kicks, the takedowns, the entries to the takedowns, the top control, the elbows, the submissions. Like that was literally an MMA clinic in three minutes and 45 seconds by Tom Aspinall. So the whole thing is, you know, how is this guy on the ground? Is he a novice? Is he the real deal? What like what what's the case, right? Like, because people are thinking that Curtis Blaze is just gonna come out here and just just lay on him and this and that. And, and I, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, maybe we don't have you know, any footage of Aspinall on his back. But when I think of a novice grappler, what he did to Volkov, just the entry of the takedowns. I mean, firstly, the first one was a body lock takedown with the outside trip. And then the second one was a beautifully timed blast double where he slipped the shot and went in there. Like you don't just time shots like that if you're a novice on the mat and to take it a step further he had the wherewithal you know for jujitsu it's one thing we'd prefer to be in side control than half guard but in mma a lot of guys would prefer to be in half guard than side control um because it gives them a good chance to get off on some better some more effective ground and pound so he takes him down you know the second time with that beautiful timed blast double where he he slipped the shot goes in there gets on top of him and firstly that top control is, is superb moves right into uh half guard so that he could get off on some shots and he basically got Volkov so worried about the elbows that Volkov starts framing up gives his arm away right or gives his arm to, to uh, Tom Aspinall and that straight arm lock was there for the take. When's the last time y'all saw someone hit a straight arm lock in heavyweight MMA? Are, are we talking all the way back to the Frank Mir days? It's funny because Aspinall looks like a younger Frank Mir, right? But I'm just saying like if he was a novice on the mat, like he would not be doing the things that he was doing in that fight against Volkov. Like he, Like you don't just take someone down with that kind of ease pass like it's nothing and then straight arm lock a top five guy like just, i just i just feel like if you're a novice on the mat you're not doing shit like that so okay is it assumption an assumption that you know this guy uh you know if he gets taken to the mat what's going to happen there I just don't think a white belt or novice grappler can pull off the things that he's pulled off in the little the little sequences we've seen from him on the mat. So I actually think it's more of a case where, 
this guy has a lot more to show and he just hasn't gotten a chance to show it yet. And this might be the time where he does, or it might not because I mean, like I said uh, earlier, um, that, that Derek Lewis fight, people just look people just write it off and say, Oh, each, Oh, you know, Curtis Blades just got knocked out by, by the guy with the most knockouts in UFC heavyweight history. So, I mean, what's the, what's the big deal? Right. But I, I view it as, Derek Lewis stuffed three of three takedowns. So why can't we mention that? Is that not like an important factor here that Derek Lewis stuffed the takedowns? Derek Lewis forced the stand-up fight. Derek Lewis capitalized on the sloppy shot. So this whole thing, no, all, all Blades has to do is just take him down and the fight's going to be over. I don't know, man. I think that Aspinall, well, allegedly he's been grappling for 20 plus years and allegedly he's a black belt. But, I mean, from what I've seen, that grappling he's been showing is not low-level stuff. Like, you go back to the Volkov versus Blades fight, and I'm not doing it for MMA math that one guy beat the other guy more impressively. I'm, I'm more so doing it to show the levels of what I saw on the mat with Aspinall. You know, Blades would take him down. Volkov would pop back up. The reason he was able to score 14 takedowns, if he, if he had scored 14 takedowns, that means that, that uh, Volkov wasn't held down. That means that Volkov kept, kept getting back up. Whereas when Aspinall took down Volkov, there, there wasn't there wasn't any getting back up, man. And uh, the one time he did get back up, he was taken down shortly after and finished even shortly after after that. So I, I just don't see a novice here. And people can say it's an assumption, it's a guess, but I think it's an educated guess that he performs fine. He's able to stuff takedowns and is able to possibly create scrambles, sweeps, attempt submissions off his back. I'm not saying throwing up a triangle with those fucking, you know, a tree trunk legs or anything like that, but I'm saying more so. I mean, y'all remember the Frank Mir days? I think that this is the new school Frank Mir, except he's got everything. I mean, you see the bounce on the feet, you see the stance switching, you see him jab to the body, then go up top, you see him mixing the leg kicks, you see some some cheeky elbows as well. Like I I personally think that this kid Aspinall is the real deal. And it's also a thing where you either recognize talent or you don't. You can be one of these haters that you see the guy's got the hype train and that they're trying to push him. And, you know, people have some kind of weird resentment towards that. It reminds me of, you know, back in the day when I bet Conor McGregor against Chad Mendes, oh, he had never fought a wrestler before. And then people try to, you know, make a bullshit that, oh, Chad was winning the whole fight until he gassed out, which actually, if you watch that fight, someone was getting pieced up on the feet. Yeah, were their takedowns landed? Yes, but Connor was able to survive, and we got back up to the feet, blew him out the water. So I view this as maybe maybe this could be the heavyweight McGregor versus Chad Mendes type fight. The only difference here is that Aspinall can land blast doubles. Aspinall is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and I don't see too many heavyweights going out there landing straight arm locks against top five guys. So the proficiency I've seen in his offensive grappling, this is where I make the educated guess. Like if you're that good offensively grappling, like why am I all of a sudden supposed to think that, oh, uh, this is a guy with, you know, 2% takedown defense. This is a guy that, oh, just put him on his back and he's a fish. Like I see from from the little I've seen, this guy can clearly grapple. So I'm not writing that off. So basically what I think is going to happen here, and I get it. This is a step up in competition. Curtis Blades has been in the UFC a long time. He's been paying his dues. But 
I think that Tom Aspinall is a lot faster. I think that Tom Aspinall has a lot more variety to his game. I think he's more well-rounded. Don't get me wrong. We've seen Curtis Blaze knock people outstanding. Like I said, I like what I saw in the Dawkins fight, switching his stance, showing that he doesn't need takedowns at times against certain people. He's going to need takedowns here. It's just, are they going to come? And if they do come, is he going to be able to get off on any damage on top of Aspinall? Is Aspinall going to be able to create a scramble, sweeps, get back up to his feet? Attack, attack for submissions, like whatever the case may be. So I like Aspinall here, man. The only thing that sketches me out is obviously, you know, that slight chalk price. That's actually been my most problematic uh, betting range is the slight favorites. You guys know me as an underdog guy for the most part. I mean, you know, last year, cashed, or last week, cashed on plus 155 year and plus 125 uh, for Stoltzfus and this and that. But uh, here, I mean, there's a chance that in hindsight, it looks like, well, why wasn't he a bigger favorite? And then there's also a chance in hindsight that, you know, Blades lays on him, Blades gasses him out, Blades does all these things. And then I look like a complete idiot for picking Aspinall, which is fine. I mean, listen, I'm going to be making these breakdowns for a long ass time, and there's going to be many times when I'm wrong. And hopefully this isn't one of them because I got Tom Aspinall to come out here and make a statement. And lastly, this might be kind of irrelevant, but I just wanted to bring it up. I wanted to bring it up anyways. Like, y'all know this is in the UK, right? Y'all know that there is a bit, like, right now it's, what, uh, 5 o'clock here? That means it's, like, 10 o'clock over there. Five-hour difference here on the East Coast. I'm not sure what it is with the Colorado difference. This dude, Blades, got to got to the UK on Tuesday. Like, fight Saturday morning. Like, that jet lag is no fucking joke. He better be on his game. And then you mix in that ruckus crowd. I know uh, my fellow Brits are going to bring it out there. So... I like this fight for Aspinall, man. I think that Aspinall comes out here. The speed difference is too much, and I think he surprises a lot of people. If he hasn't already surprised you with his ground game, again, who just takes who just takes down Arlovsky and then just submits him right away, no problem. Like, has anyone? I mean, I think the last time he got submitted was the uh, what was it? The Josh Barnett fight all the way back in what fucking 2016, and that was a war up until that point. Whereas Aspinall whooped his ass the first round with that 50 strike combination and then you know gathered his wits back about him goes out there shoots one blast double and immediately takes his back doesn't even need to get his hooks in and chokes him out like you don't just do that unless you got skills people write off these impressive finishes for whatever reason they like to call them meme finishes they like to call them flukes I i was impressed with what i saw but it goes back to the volkov fight for me like when you shut someone out of that of that caliber a top five a perennial top five guy to that extent, in literally every single area, the kicks were covered, the punches were covered, the entries to the takedowns, the top control, the submissions. Like, I see this kid, Aspinall, being one of these, you know, next wave, future, you know, top, top heavyweight contenders, man. Just like we said when we saw Cyril Gaon the first time, there's just something different about this guy. Just like we saw when, when uh, Francis Ngannou first came to the UFC, there's something different. The heavyweights are evolving now. We know what Blades brings to the table. Blades is a finished product. Blades is not going to throw any curveballs here. Blades is also not fighting, you know, a guy that should be cutting the 205 who was coming off a knockout loss uh, in in, in Dacus. You know, uh, Aspinall is a six foot five guy with a 78 inch reach. Like he's, he's a real heavyweight, but he moves like a lighter guy. I don't know. Like I understand people's hesitation because historically speaking with other hype prospects, maybe they've crashed and burned. 
but I I just gotta go with my gut and I see talent, I see potential, I see him being the next guy up there with the Inganus, with the Cyril Gans, with the next generation of heavyweights. And there's just been this new wave, not just at heavyweight, but even at, at light heavyweight. Uh, remember for the longest time, it was the Gustafsons, it was the Rampage, uh, Machida, Rashad, this and that. Whereas now the new generation is the Magomed Leaves, the Jamal Hills, the Yuri Prohaskas. So I see a similar thing happening at heavyweight, and I see and I see Aspinall being the guy that's carrying the torch. Now, back to the whole first L talk, first UFC L talk. Like I always say, no one's exempt from that first UFC L. So uh, unless your name is John Jones or Habib, and if they stick around long enough, they take their first Ls too. But all I'm trying to say is that you know if this is time to pay your dues, take that first L. Okay, whatever. It takes that on the chin, but. From what I'm seeing, man, and again, because people like to say, well, if, if Francis Ngannou wasn't in the picture, then Curtis Blades would be the UFC heavyweight champion. And I'm just like, well, didn't I see Derek Lewis, who literally gets taken down every single fight, stuff three of three takedowns against Blades and then knock him, knock his head into the fifth row? So, uh, so to me, man, um, I think people are sleeping on Aspinall. I think people are failing to grasp that he he actually can grapple. Like I said, that last fight, you don't just hit takedowns like that. You don't just hit a body lock takedown on a guy like Volkov right away. And then when he gets back up, that could have been the time when Aspinall got discouraged. That could have been the time when he was huffing and puffing. Hey, my first take, my first takedown attempt didn't work. Let's live the fight another day. You know what I mean? And nah, man, the way he slipped that punch to the blast double, the way he passed the guard. I mean, the way he set up that straight arm lock. Again, when's the last time y'all saw a straight arm lock in heavyweight MMA? Frank Mir back in the day again so I, i'm yeah I, I i'm on i'm on aspinall here man and i understand again people's hesitation they they you know they feel like he hasn't proven it to them uh yet and yeah obviously i'd like a bigger sample size obviously i'd like to see what he does as he continues to climb the ranks but that's exactly what he's doing here climbing the ranks and i think he's going to show that um He's the real deal. So, listen, yeah, I'm, I'm going to look like an idiot if Blades comes out here and either knocks him out on the feet or, you know, I mean, it's heavyweight MMA. Anyone can go down, right? Or it easily gets takedowns and top control and ground and pound and this and that. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm ready to be wrong on it, but I, I trust my gut. I, I don't care what anyone else is saying. I mean, I'm, I'm open to listening to what other people are saying, but I, at the end of the day, just follow my own gut. And if your gut is telling you to bet blades, then bet blades, man. Like I'm not always right, man. So, but the thing is like, I don't seek validation in what other people think about my takes and you shouldn't either. You know, if maybe you, you feel like, okay, I'm going to give you some entertainment or I'm going to bring up some points that you hadn't quite thought of. Okay. That's great. But at the end of the day, you got to trust your own gut. And my gut is saying Aspinall. So I'm going to go with Aspinall here. Yeah, I'd, obviously, would I love to bet him plus 100? Would I love to bet him plus 110? Yeah, okay, sure. But, like, there's a chance in hindsight that uh, that that it's going to look better than that price tag. Plus, I'm used to laying chalk on a guy like Aspinall. So it is what it is, man. My educated guess is that this guy can grapple. And I thought the, I thought the evidence was in that last fight and even the Arlovsky fight, despite how – 
you know, small of a sample size that is, that wasn't no novice grappling. That wasn't some dude that, you know, just put on the gi for the first time. That that was someone that's putting in the work. And he just seems to me like the ultimate competitor. So I'm going Aspinall to come out here and uh, finish Curtis Blades. And don't, don't be surprised if he lands a takedown or two of his own if this fight gets extended. If it doesn't get extended, probably not. But down the stretch, I mean, that's where Volkov hit a takedown on Curtis Blaze. That's where Volkov unanimously won that fifth round. That's where Volkov won the fourth round on two of three judges' scorecards. So people just saying all you got to do, all you got to do is extend them. Uh, I ain't buying it. So I'm going Tom Aspinall for the win. All right, damn, we spent like 30 uh, minutes on that fight. I think I covered everything. If I didn't, I'll come back and say some other stuff um before i talk about the co-main event between hermanson and chris curtis everybody do me that huge favor smash that like button for me hit the subscribe button truly appreciate y'all helping me grow the channel and i just enjoy being here with you guys talking fights um so let me bring up uh let me let me answer some questions philosopher ks said do you sell picks no i don't sell picks i used to sell picks but i fucking hated every single second of it it was one of the worst experiences of my life and someone has said would have said oh well all you had to do was win during that time and it would have been enjoyable and it's like nah it was just a different kind of pressure i bet for me and me only and if people find entertainment or value from what i bring to the table that's great but you know there, there was just i just did not enjoy selling picks it's not for me so i'd rather entertain you guys with the show and give out my picks for free which i've been doing um and i'm doing really good this year and i'm on track to have my best year today already still at 20 percent roi and we're half past july so and more and more than half past the year so i think i made the right call and i just feel so much better not selling picks i just fucking hated it but i had to go through that to understand that you know because i felt like i earned my right to sell picks but uh, at the time with the results i had but selling picks was just not for me um so enjoy my free picks while y'all can, you know? I mean, I, I say while y'all can. Uh, it's You're going to for the rest because I ain't selling picks probably ever again. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but, yeah, I do not sell picks. Um, and you can find them at BetMMATips uh, slash picks. You can find them here on Half the Battle or on my Twitter. I post my bets as well, which is at BestFightPicks. Um, let's see what else y'all are saying for me. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Kevin Hyatt said Aspinall's landing the first takedown. Let's see. Let's see. I'm I'm excited about that. Um, JS, J23 says Aspinall has 20 plus years of jujitsu experience and a black belt on his side. Blades hasn't been up against that level of grappler before. That remains to be seen. Uh, not the f- the factual parts that you, you said about the level of jujitsu, but yeah, let's see just how they match up when, when that happens. My boy Rahman said, Rahman said, uh, Hamzat smash the like button. Hell yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it. Liam pick fights. What's up, champ? What's up, champ? Uh, appreciate you being here, man. Uh, and don't worry about them haters, man. I mean, like, I, I guess I get certain points, but at the same time, the most important thing is focusing on yourself, you know, like. I'm just focused on myself, man. Like, so, and you've always been a cool dude to me. So I fuck with Liam. He's a nice guy, man. Um, and, you know, also. He's a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, uh, a competitive one as well. He's a former wrestler. I'm a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. And I, and I, I didn't just say that to one-up you. Right? I, I just brought that up because we're both grapplers. We both got that understanding and that love for for that side of the game, man. So, you know, hell yeah, man. I fuck with you. Uh, let's see what else y'all got for me. Um, my boy Ghost Gardner smashed on that like button from a, like, like a fucking champ. Yeah, do that with all your burner accounts. You know, do what you got to do, brother. Uh, so let's see. 
Steve says Dan is selling uh, it for me on Aspinall. I mean, yeah, and now he's saying Aspinall by sub. Yeah, but don't get don't get cute with these props, bro. I mean, they might hit every now and then, but I mean, when the guy you're picking straight up is already at a decent price, like I don't see the reason to go into the prop world. But that's that's just my take on it you know everybody can bet how they want but at the end of the day if your gut is telling you blades bet blades you know again you got to trust your gut at the end of the day i'm not always right i'm just telling you what my gut and my lean and my reads and my intuition tells me which is aspinall but let's see what happens all right anything y'all gotta say for me before i move on to this co-main event um Let's see. I think I think that's pretty much it. Um, JSJ23 said, do I take anything away from the Dacus fight? Well, I, I did like how Curtis Blades was using leg kicks. I did like how he was switching his stances. I did like how when, like, he didn't, you know, he didn't feel so threatened by the fast hands of Dacus that he automatically needed to force shots. Like, he wasn't forcing things, which was a very good step in the right direction. I just think that Dacus is... You know, a former light heavyweight, someone that could drop, whereas you'd have to cut off Aspinall's dick to make him fucking <laughs> drop to 205. You know what I'm saying? Like, this guy, he's six foot five, like, weighs 240, 250, whatever it is, but moves around like a lighter guy. It's just, it's just that next generation of heavyweights. Um, all right. So, Reed Henry says, How much ass have you gotten in that shirt, Dan? <laughs> that's funny man that's uh gentlemen don't kiss and tell my man but uh i can tell you where i bought it um i think express express got some good shirts man so definitely look good feel good perform good all that make love good like uh james brown used to say you know what i'm saying so yeah just just be taking care of yourself man but but do what works for you I feel like I can pull this off. Other guys feel like they can't pull it off and vice versa. They can pull the plaid shirts off. I usually can. So everybody's different. You got to do what's best for you. Alex Gagnon, did I pronounce it right? You Canadian with a name like that? He said the biggest red flag is the travel thing. I heard a fighter from Asia say it can take a month to recover. Yeah, exactly. Daun Jung said that on my podcast. Um, JR said, what up, Dan? Big fan. Thank you, bro. Uh, That means a lot to me. Liam picks fight said, God bless preach brother. Appreciate you bigly. I appreciate you bigly, man. For sure, man. We got to do something soon. It's been a while. Um, and if you're ever in Atlanta, you know, my gym's got open doors. Let's come, come grapple, man. Let's get it in. Let's get some work in, um, teach each other some new techniques and same and and same, same if I'm in New York for sure, man, I'm always down. Um, all right. So, the prodigy said, uh, how much that chain costs? Is it real diamond? You know, people are always trying me on that. They're like, oh, it's fake. I'm like, well, you got a, you got a diamond gun on you? P- put that to the test. Let me know how fake it really is. So uh, let's just say that I earned it when I, when I got it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, MRA says, do I own a gym? Uh, so I train at Team Octopus uh, in Sandy Springs. I've been there since the gym opened, and I'm there every single day. Um, and I'm very close with the owner who's actually a serial entrepreneur who I will be doing a podcast with. His name's Abraham Gray. He's, uh, uh, an a hundred millionaire and I'm going to do a podcast with him to just like have a really informational talk, um, about how he went from, you know, a dude who was getting sent to foster homes to s- selling multi-million dollar businesses. And he's actually a brown belt in jujitsu. You know, we train together all the time. So yeah, there's a lot to say. 
All right, y'all. Let's move on to this co-main event of the evening. Co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division. This should be a lot of fun. We got Jack the Joker Hermanson. He's 22 and 7, representing Sweden, taking on Chris Curtis, who is 29 and 8, representing the United States of America. Currently, just depends where you look. They got it. Jack the Joker Hermanson minus 110. The comeback, or not the comeback, it's a it's a dead pick on minus 110 on Chris Curtis, the action man. So firstly, I just I just gotta say this, man. A lot of credit needs to be given to Chris Curtis for a lot of reasons, man. One of those reasons being is that you know, this dude's a former welterweight, and like I've known about Curtis a very long time because back in the day, you fought my buddy Bilal Muhammad on the regional scene. And y'all got to go back and watch that fight. Like there was massive trash talk going into it. They were even talking shit to each other after the fight. But, you know, Bilal Muhammad did what Bilal Muhammad does. He gave him a tour of the octagon. So ever since that fight, I had never really had the highest opinion on Chris Curtis. But something that really made me look I, I respect anyone that steps in there of course but someone that something that made me just elevate that respect for chris curtis is the fact that this guy never this guy never gave up this guy went through the ups and downs this guy even retired like twice on one night and to pick himself back up everybody loves a good everybody loves a good comeback story and that's exactly what curtis has done and now he's moving up to 185 pounds you know for these last few fights and the improvements that he's been making, I mean, he looks like he's in his prime form. So Chris Curtis, man, excuse me. Chris Curtis has got my, he's got my, he's got my respect. And that last fight against Rodolfo, what he stuffed 20, 30 takedowns and he's got some smooth boxing for MMA standards, man. And, you know, his teammate, Sean Strickland actually beat Hermanson and they got, you know, similar, somewhat similar styles and, He's got the insight, so there's that. But I've just been, like, waiting for this time where the fact that he's a welterweight, um, you know, is he growing into the frame at middleweight or does he just not feel like cutting like, like cutting weight anymore? Like, what's the deal on that? Um, but I've been waiting for these past things I've seen, you know, where's the PFL fights where he was easily taken down or even back to the Bilal Muhammad fight, which I keep referring to. Like, when's that finally going to happen? Because these first few opponents he's fought, are great. I'm not going to discredit it, but I will discuss what happened in those performances. Phil Haas was lighting up Chris Curtis. Let's, let's, let's not beat around the bush. Chris, uh, uh, Phil Haas was lighting him up. But what's the one thing? Um, well, hey, Dominic, what are you saying about the mic work? Are you talking about Curtis Blades or are you talking about my mic? Like, is my mic cutting out or do you just mean Blades needs to learn how to talk? Uh, specify that for me because I, I don't want any bullshit like i had a few episodes back but one thing about curtis is he growing into the weight class was this just a thing where you didn't feel like cutting weight these last few because jack hermanson's a actual uh middleweight jack hermanson's a guy that cuts weight to make middleweight jack hermanson's a big boy and jack hermanson is a guy that man there was a time when you could just cash bets on Jack Hermanson left and right and center. Like, let me pull up some of these fights, man. Like, there was a run where I just rode uh, the Jack Hermanson train all the way. And it's just a case of like, you know, for example, 
bet on him against Talis Latis, which was like a max bet. And he even like broke his, he hurt his rib and he still came back and won that fight. You know, it's a max bet when your worst case, where your worst case scenario happens and the bet still cashes. And he showed a lot of heart in that fight. The David Branch fight, he was like a plus 110, plus 130 underdog, submitted him in like 30 seconds. You know, the Ronaldo Jacare Souza fight had a great performance there too. And then I even bet against him in the Edmund Shabazian fight. I thought that that might have been a good match for Shabazian. I was wrong on that. Hermanson did his thing. But sometimes Hermanson kind of will be a one-trick pony at, at times. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's got hands, and it's, it's not to take away from that. It, it's just more so that, you know, he doesn't really react as well to getting hit. And it's more so when he gets on top of guys, one thing he's always called himself is the guy with the best ground and pound in the UFC. So if you can get on top of Chris Curtis, start start getting off on those elbows. And don't sleep on Jack Hermanson's guillotine too. It's not your traditional guillotine either. It's uh it's something different. Like even Talis Latis who's like a serious black belt, like when he got uh, caught in that, it was kind of like, yo, like goddamn, even Jack Array, even though both of them didn't tap, Jack Array got caught up in that thing too. Uh, that guillotine from Jack Hermanson, serious. And I think a guy like Chris Curtis gets caught up in that. It's not going to be, you know, what third degree black belt, Talis Latest, world champion jujitsu guy, uh, Jack Array getting out of it. I think Curtis gets caught up in that guillotine and that fight's going to be over. So it's really just about can Curtis maybe weather an early storm on the mat? And then from there, the takedown attempts just become, you know, the horsepower diminishes on them, and then um, Curtis can keep it standing and just kind of use some of that smoother boxing to make things happen. Or is it a case where, welcome to the top 10, young man, and uh, th- there's levels to this shit. So I, I lean Hermanson in this fight, man. I think he can get back on track as, lo- as long as he's still into this because sometimes when you take a few of the setbacks he's had, when he's just been on the cusp, of the title where it was the Jared Cannonier fight, the Sean Strickland fight and the Sean Strickland fight. Like I know it says it was a split decision, but like when you beat a man with just a jab and a five round fight, like I know it might not be the most aesthetically pleasing thing to watch, but that's very impressive. That's very high level. Um, and it's also discouraging for the opponent. So I'm very curious to see if we have, a fired up joker if we have someone who's been taking it seriously or or does he have one foot out because if he's got one foot out then curtis is definitely alive here but i think if you give me you know jack you know coming in here backs up against the wall wants to wants to prove wants to prove a little something something then i think jack comes out here finds these opportunistic takedowns has some nice top control gets off on some ground and pound and i think he hands uh Chris Curtis's first UFCL. So I'm going to go with Jack Hermanson in this one. Kind of bummed I missed out on the plus 110. You know, it would have been nice, but, you know, it, it just comes down to a lot. You know, the takedown defense was much improved by Curtis. And I, it's just tough for me because it's like, it's almost like I have this bias against Curtis. Like, I, I got no issue with him as a person. Like, he, he seems like a really cool guy. It's just more so like, Although his skills have vastly improved, I still like have the old memories of like the PFL days or even before that, the Bilal Muhammad fight that I keep bringing up from back in the day. So we'll see because now we're in the top 10. I'm a lean Jack Hermanson for this one. Featured bout in the lightweight division. We got Patty the Batty, Pimblet. He's 18 and three, taking on Jordan Levitt, who is 10 and one. 
Currently, they got it. Patty Pimblett minus 245. The comeback on Jordan Levitt is plus 205. So this is one of those spots where... Um, so firstly, I want to say this. A lot of people think that Jordan Levitt has a bet MMA Tips account. Like, guys, that that's not him. Let's just get that out the way. There's a lot of imposters out there. Let's do it. Let's do it in betting off fights. But anyways, Jordan Levitt, decently one-dimensional, but you know what that one dimension is? I mean, he's got good scrambling for the first round and a half of a fight. And, you know, if you can if you can take your back, possibly you can choke you out. And, you know, you can do some things on the mat. The stand-up ain't quite there. Um surprisingly won a few ufc fights i was actually a lot more higher on him on contender series than i am in his actual ufc run because obviously the level of competition has gone way way up but with patty this is is another showcase fight i view it as i I think that patty i don't think patty needs to shoot any takedowns here i think patty can keep it standing the issue with patty standing is he keeps that chin straight up in the air and at some point someone will uh capitalize on that i'm just not convinced that it's going to be uh, Jordan Levitt, that was, uh, that is. I don't think Jordan Levitt's punching technique is exactly the best. I think Jordan Levitt's best chance is to make something happen early. If that doesn't happen, I think he gasses out, and I think that Patty takes over the second and third. But if Levitt doesn't have any early success, and I, I see Patty coming out here overwhelming him, I think the crowd's going to be a bit too much for Levitt. And I, I'm not quite sure Levitt's ready for this you know i i just don't see a grown man that twerks beating patty pimblett in a fight so i'm going patty pimblett to come out here and uh, teach jordan levitt a lesson now this one i'm excited about next up in the 205 pound division we got a matchup between nikita krilov he's 27 and 9 taking on alexander gustafson who is 18 and 7 currently depending where you look we got Nikita Krylov, I see minus 189. I see minus 190. I see minus 200. The cr- the comeback on Alexander Gustafsson is plus 170. So I know for a fact, like I don't really listen to too many breakdowns. I'm kind of, I, I just kind of like to focus on myself. But I have an assumption that what people are saying going in this fight is, oh, if you gave me the best version of Gustafsson, if you gave me prime Gustafsson, then it would be a crime for him to be plus 170 against Nikita Krilov. And I'm just thinking to myself, well, do you have a time machine? Like, Because if you have a time machine and you can take me back to 2017, you can take me back to you know, 2013 when, when he had the close fight with John Jones. Hey, give me that time machine. Take me back to 2017. And I'll, I'll bet on Gustafsson at, at those odds. But 2022, like almost uh, well, more than half past 2022, um, this is not prime Gustafsson. You're not going to get the best version of Gustafsson. I mean, look, the guy retired in 2019, and his exact words were, "I just first, the show's over. His other exact words was, I just don't have what it takes anymore. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying, man? And... Uh, comes back against we doom i cashed a plus 300 a plus 305 uh, on we're doom in that fight easy money didn't you know it was getting lazy didn't feel like cutting the weight anymore now it's coming back you know it's been two years wants to cash, wants to do a little quick cash grab get his little six-figure paycheck and move on and now and that, i'm cool with that but the guy and he, as soon as the fight gets tough that's that's when he's mentally checking out when nikita krilov 
yeah, has he had his ups and downs? Yeah, but he's only 30 years old. He's still just about to enter his athletic prime, and he's had the tough fights. He's good everywhere the fight goes. He's got that Kyokushin uh, karate background where you know he he he, he uh, flows his punches to his kicks to his takedowns really effectively. The only issues with Krilov from time to time is occasionally he'll make a bonehead mistake on the mat or sometimes he'll go max effort and get kind of tired in fights, but you know, people saying he pulled a stunt that last fight um, against uh, Paul Craig. I mean, guys, like, how many times are we going to talk about these Paul Craig fights? Guys get carried away. I mean, he was smashing on Paul Craig. Some people even thought he, he knocked Paul Craig out, but he got caught in the same thing that Jamal Hill got caught in, in the same thing that Magomed and Khalif got caught in, in the same thing that Kennedy and Zetchuku got caught in. So, like, at, at, at some point, like, um, at some point, you can't call it a fluke anymore. Uh, someone said Gus don't get paid six figures unless he wins. I mean, I, I I bet I bet Gus gets at least 100K to show, man. I mean, he's got a long history in the sport. That first fight with Jones was all the way back in 2013. So like I said, Gus retired in 2019. He said he doesn't have what it takes anymore. So why am I supposed to believe that in 2019 he didn't have what it takes anymore, that all of a sudden now when we're – or more than halfway past 2022 that now he has what it takes i think nikita krilov is a guy who's been watching uh alexander gustafson his entire career and this is like a big motivating fight for him this is this is the biggest opportunity of his career to go out there and beat a guy who was once considered one of the top guys at the at the at the, at the, uh, at the weight class but i just don't think gustafson's that guy anymore man so i see Nikita Krilov just out hustling Alexander Gustafsson. Maybe there's a finish along the way, maybe not. But bottom line, I I just see the work rate, the the will to win just being too much for Nikita Krilov. And and I'm looking to bet Nikita Krilov in the spot. Again, all, all the people saying, oh, but if this was the prime Gus, if, this, if you give me the best version of Gus, then these lines are are egregious. Uh egregious. It's like, well. If you give me a time machine and you can take me back to 2017, 2016, 15, 14, 13, okay, well, well then I'll, I'll bet Gus at those odds. But we are in, you know, we're past uh, the midpoint of 2022, and we are not getting that guy anymore. So I got Nikita Krilov, to, who's only 30 years old, who's just entering his prime, been paying his dues, had a close fight with Magomed Ankaliev where un he unanimously won the first round. Was smashing Paul Craig until he got caught in a triangle. What, is Gus, is Gus going to catch him in a triangle? So, yeah, there's certain things to be worried about with Krilov. Occasional bonehead mistake on the mat. Sometimes, you know, goes uh, balls to the wall and, uh, and and gasses himself out. Didi says, Dan, don't bet on low IQ fighters. I mean, I've bet Krilov five times. I've cashed four out of five of those. So, it's all about picking spots. And one of my favorite angles, if you guys have been following me, I love fading washed up fighters. I love fading guys past their, you know, past their prime, guys on the decline, guys that have retired before and are coming back. I mean, look at Misha Tate last week. Can <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, once you retire, you retire for a reason. So you're not going to get the best Gustafsson. I think that this is the biggest fight of Krilov's career, and I think he's going to come out here and capitalize. So I got Nikita Krilov to come out here and win, and this is a spot I'm looking to bet. So everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button for me. Hit the subscribe button. I truly, truly appreciate it. Now let's uh, 
let's breeze through these next few because we've already been going close to an hour and i think we covered the important fights but next up in the women's flyweight division we got molly mccann she's 12 and 4 representing the uk taking on hannah goldie who is six and two representing the u.s currently they got it molly mccann minus 390 minus 400 the comeback on hannah goldie is plus 320 um so so real quick my boy dd said you you know your shit so i can't hate but krilov ain't it for me i mean dude i was hearing the same shit last week with stoltzfus oh stoltzfus is zero and three how can you pick him here well it's because grant is like one or two fights away from retirement now first now to your credit stoltz was plus 124 i do have to lay chalk on krilov but gustafson's already retired it was back in 2019 he said he doesn't have what it takes anymore so like what a couple years later now he's got what it takes like it, it, it don't work like that these things don't get better they get worse so as long as krilov don't make no bonehead mistake i, I think he'll be fine but i mean like what is he gonna get triangled off his back? I, I I don't expect that to happen. Back to Molly and Hannah. I mean, look what I love about Molly. She kind of reminds me of a female Frankie Edgar. You know, she's got kind of that that volume boxing style, um, and she's able to mix in the those entries, those takedowns. Has a nice blast double from time to time. Fights with a lot of spirit, and this is just a good matchup for her. You know, Hannah Goldie. She's just kind of inactive in there. You know, she'll throw the occasional sidekick she circles around a lot from time to time can go out there and and you know hit an opportunistic arm bar off her back but she doesn't really win minutes in fights and the time she does her other her opponent has to have the lowest output you've ever seen so i just see molly mccann coming out here and outworking her putting a pace on her and just overwhelming her so i got molly mccann in that fight Kicking off the main card, we got a matchup between Paul Craig. <laughs> I can't pronounce it. He's 16, 4 and 1, representing Scotland. You know, I got love for my Scots. Taking on Volkan Uzdemir, who is 17 and 6, representing Switzerland. Currently, they got a Volkan Uzdemir minus 155. The comeback on Paul Craig is plus 135. I mean, I think we know the deal here. Volkan's going to whoop his ass until Volkan either. Volkan. I said Volkov. I meant Volkan. Volkan is going to whoop his ass until Volkan either wins the fight or until Volkan gets carried away and gets submitted. I mean, you know, I used to think that the Paul Craig and Khalif fight was a fluke. But, like, once, like, you do that to Kennedy and Zechuku, and then you do it to Jamal Hill, and then you do it to Nikita Krylov, like, at what point do we just not call it a fluke anymore? Like, this guy, Paul Craig, just has a knack for for pulling off these amazing triangle chokes he's such a specialist and the thing about it is his opponents just get so carried away like they they'll knock him down then follow him into his guard try to ground a pound or they'll think that yo that shit ain't gonna work on me i'm gonna take him down pass his guard and, and you know try to try to show that i can beat him at his own game dudes get carried away so is Volkan going to get carried away? I know Volkan can fight a disciplined fight. He can win here. Or if Paul Craig pulls guard, stand up, make him get back up, make him stand you, make him fight you on the feet. But let's not forget uh, Paul Craig hit a, a blast double leg on uh, Magomed and Khalif. Like it's not just him, you know, off his back. Uh, I think that he's decent on top as well. And I think he's got a lot of confidence here. And also Volkan, 
look kind of lost his last two fights. I mean, that Yuri Prohaska fight, I don't give a fuck what some Twitter scorecard said about oh, Volkov or Volkan, excuse me, won the first round. Um, if you actually watch that fight, like just watch it. Don't worry about the commentary saying, don't worry about some, you know, dudes with five chins, how they scored it. Like just watch it for yourself. Like Yuri Prohaska was playing with him the whole the whole fight, had his hands down, was taunting him, was just playing with him. And then when it was time for uh, Yuri Prohaska to get off on his strikes, he, he launched him into the fifth row. The Magomed and Khalif fight, I mean, Magomed was toying with him until Magomed gassed in that third round. And there, it's not like it's not like Vol- Volkan had that much success either. So I've just kind of seen, I'm not sure if Volkan's really into this anymore, but back to the styles. Volkan is obviously a better kickboxer than them. Volkan can come out here and light him up. It's just that at what point is Volkan going to drop him, follow him into his guard, or get the guard pulled, you know, get guard pulled on him, and then he tries to pass and this and that, and he just gets caught up in, in Paul Craig's shit. So, you know, I would pick Paul Craig to lose the entire fight until he wins it. So, yeah, and I get why people are on Volkan because he's got a clear path to victory, but, like, didn't, like... And Khalif have a clear path to victory? Didn't Kennedy and Zechiku have a clear path? Didn't Jamal Hill, Nikita Krilov, didn't all these dudes have clear paths? They all got clear paths. And Volkan should be the favorite for those reasons. It's just, can we trust them to, to fight smart in here and not get carried away? These guys just think for some reason they're going to pound him out on the ground. They think for some reason they're going to beat him at his own game. They're going to pass his guard. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. I don't know. I don't know. So I'm going to go with Paul Craig to lose the entire fight until he finds an opportunistic submission and and he fucking does it again. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Ludovic Klein, representing Slovakia, I believe, taking on Mason Jones, who's 11-1, representing Wales. Currently, they got it. Mason Jones, minus 350. The comeback on Ludovic Klein is plus 285. So, you know, I liked Ludovic when he first came into the UFC. I cashed on him against Shane Young. I mean, obviously, he's a pretty athletic dude. He's got he's, he's very fast, especially in the early going. Nice footwork. Pops his jab. And he's known for that signature high kick. His get-ups have gotten a lot better. He's putting in a lot of work. But the thing with this guy, Mason Jones... Kind of reminds me of like a lightweight Marvin Vittori, man, where it's like he's got that blockhead. He eats a lot of unnecessary shots, but his chin is absolutely insane. And then it's just got that pressure where he just wilts guys. He breaks them. He cooks them to the bone. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do here. I think that we've seen Ludovic Klein succumb to pressure on multiple occasions. And look, as long as uh, Mason Jones doesn't go down to the high kick, as long as Mason Jones... You know, it doesn't get hit so much that he's finally compromised. I think that as this fight enters the second, third round, the pressure is going to be too much. So I, I could see Jones winning in a variety of ways as, as Ludovic starts the fatigue. Also in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Mark Jacasey. He's 15 and five, taking on Demir Hadzovic, who is 14 and six. Currently, they got it. Mark Jacasey, minus 330. The comeback on Demir Hadzovic is plus 275. So I haven't quite forgiven uh, um, Demir Hadzovic for the epic stun he pulled against Christos Giagos in Europe, by the way. You know, that that that's not a fight you're supposed to lose, man. That was a showcase fight, and he blew it, man. And I just think that I haven't really been seeing too much improvement. Look, he's got some nice Euro kickboxing. 
guess the ground game has been getting a little better. It's not like he's out here getting submitted every fight. I know the Moicano fight went how it went, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just kind of see it being a situation where March of Casey. Uh, now both guys can get off on calf kicks. That that's something that we uh, we got we got to mention because March of Casey has been susceptible to calf kicks, but he's also landed some of his own. But when March of Casey goes to that wrestling, when he gets that body lock, when he gets that blast double, like. He's finding these ways to grind out these wins. As long as he's not trying to be too flashy and, and you know, put on a show too much, I think he can come out here and grind out Demir Hadzovic. So for that reason, I'm picking him to win this fight. So a few fights left. Holy shit, more than a few fights left. We got six fights left, but everyone do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. When this uh, is over, make sure y'all leave me a comment, share, all those things, you know. I truly appreciate it. But next up, in the featherweight division, we had a matchup between Nathaniel Wood, who's 17-5, taking on Charles Rosa, who is 14-7. Currently, they got it. Nathaniel Wood, <laughs> minus 560. The comeback on Charles Rosa, plus 430. Uh, I mean, I see it being a case where, listen, Charles Rosa is not good athletically, super slow, super hittable, but he's just a tough as boston strong kind of guy with nathaniel wood he's moving up to featherweight for this one the issues we had with him at bantamweight was you know he cut a lot of weight so might have affected his durability a little bit the guy's very hittable but aside from that i think he's got a massive speed advantage here he's got some of the best leg kicks at bantamweight now he's moving up to featherweight charles rosa doesn't take much to take this guy down it's just about don't get caught up in some bullshit don't you know, let him open up a big cut on you, and the doctors come in there and and, uh, and and stop it. You know, don't don't get carried away and get caught in a submission. You know, little things like that. Back in the day, you know, I, I cashed on Yair Rodriguez plus two hundred against uh, Charles Rosa. Interestingly enough, in Mexico, by the way. But to Charles Rosa's credit, he made it all the way to a split. But that was so fucking long ago. I just see Charles Rosa slowing down, and I think this is a good this is a good fight for. Good introductory fight for Nathaniel Wood um, to the featherweight division, so he's going to be my pick. Now, next up, also in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Makwan, Mr. Finley, Amir Khani. He's 17-7, taking on Jonathan, JSP Pierce, who's 12-4. and four. So early going, you got to get the Makwan, Amir Khani. I mean, uh, Makwan is hell on wheels in that first round. I mean, he gets on top of these guys. He runs them through the series. He dances all over them. If he can snatch that neck, he's got a very good Darson Anaconda series as well. Um, it's just one of those things that with Makwan, he goes so fucking hard in that early going that he tends to have nothing left in the second and third. And I think there's also like a health-related issue, which is part of the reason that that happens. Um, but with uh, with Jonathan Pierce, something I like about him is, look, he's one of these like kind of longer, goofy guys. So like he might he might get tagged up early and he might get taken down early, which is what you got to worry about with a guy like Makwan Amerikani. But as fights progress, something I really like about Jonathan Pierce is that he can put up numbers, man. Like, let me let me pull up what these numbers are on a guy like JSP. You know, that contender series fight, he landed 142 strikes. The uh, Jonathan, the, the Kai Kamaka fight, he goes out there and, you know, the fight didn't even see round three, and he had already thrown, you know, 
172 significant strikes, got him out of there. So he's just like one of these pace guys. He's one of these guys that, you know, someone asked me what the health-related issue is with Maquan. Just go to his Instagram. He talks about it after all his losses, how his kidneys, his this, his that, like it forces him to like gas out and fight. So just look it up. It, it's, it's documented. But with JSP, something I like about him is he can go out there and hit six takedowns in multiple fights. Kai uh, Against Kai Kamaka, hit five takedowns. Against Omar Morales, hit six takedowns. Against uh, Christian Rodriguez, hit six takedowns. So he's a guy that can land over 100 significant strikes, and he's a guy that can land six takedowns in a fight. Like Those are the kind of numbers I like to see. So just to me, it comes down to can he get past the first round because we know the first round, Mach wants hell on wheels. But if he does get past the first round, um, I think that the pace – for JSP is going to be too much in the second and third. So I'm taking uh, Jonathan Pierce to come out here and win this fight. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Mohamed Mokayev. He's 6-0. Taking on Charles Johnson, the former LFA champion, who's 11-2. Currently, they got it. Mohamed Mokayev minus 450 to come back on Charles Johnson's plus 360. So Charles Johnson's good. You know, former LFA champ. Um, Kind of a longer striker for the flyweight division, you know, five foot nine, switches stances nicely. Um, and he, he can kind of do it all. It's just more so there's not as much knockout power on the feet. It's more so of a volume uh, point fighting style. And he's a slick guy. He deserves his UFC opportunity 100%. Um, I do have certain suspicions about certain things. I think there's a chance he might be a little bit weak to the body. Um, who knows? You know, just 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 a slight speculation, and with Mokayev, um, he's just kind of like a young phenom. You know, he needs to be tested properly. But like the way he did uh, Cody Dern in his debut, like I know Cody Dern's lost some fights, but no one's ever done him like that. Like first exchange, like goddamn. But we want to know what happens if fights get extended. And this guy Charles Johnson, he's an Olympic track runner. Someone someone correct me on that. But bottom line, the guy's got insane cardio. So if he can extend this fight and survive some of these ground spots, you never know. He might be looking at a live dog. But most likely, I think that the grappling edge is going to be a lot bigger here for Mokayev. And I think he comes out here and shows why he's a big favorite. It's not my most convicted pick because, you know, I, I feel like besides the Cody Dern fight, which lasted less than a minute, I don't think Mokayev's really fought anybody. Whereas this guy, Charles Johnson, has gone the distance with with a top five UFC flyweight and Brandon Royval and, it was a it was a serious honest fight you know um so i understand people taking the shot but i'm gonna lean with mokayev to come out here and possibly submit um charles johnson so but charles johnson 100 deserves his ufc opportunity i look forward to his next fight i'm gonna lean mokayev to get it down to get it done uh, get it down to the mat and get it done on the mat now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Jay Herbert, Jai Herbert. He's 11-4, representing the U.K., taking on Kyle Nelson, who's 13-4, representing Canada. Currently, they got it, Jay Herbert, minus 275. They come back on Kyle Nelson's plus 230. I know a lot of people are saying that, well, Jai Herbert got badly slept his last fight. How can he be a big favorite here? Well, firstly, he was looking great that fight against Deporia, and he's had moments in a lot of these fights, man. I mean... He dropped Trinaldo. He had a nice moment against Moicano. It's just he's fighting some really tough competition. This is a massive step down. You know, Kyle Nelson, for his reputation of being a heavy hitter, he's only had one knockout since 2018. You understand what I'm saying? 
and yeah, he can swing big, and and if he swings big on, on the chin of Herbert, you never know. But I just think Herbert's got him covered across the board. So I think Kyle is basically knockout or bust or early submission or bust or something. Um, but I, I think that just the technique of uh, Jay Herbert and I think his experience inside the octagon, his shot selection, his, the length, and I kind of don't view Kyle Nelson as, you know, I don't want to criticize the toughness of a UFC fighter. He's way tougher than me. I'd never make that walk, but like compared to other UFC fighters, I, I don't think that he's the toughest. So I'm going with uh, Jai Herbert to to come out here and rebound emphatically. Like that fight with Taporia, man, if that had been anyone else in there, I mean, that's a highlight real finish for Jai Herbert, but it's, it's insane what what Taporia's chin's made out of, his resolve, the the heart he has, the fact that he was able to get back up there and show he's a true Spanish warrior. Um, props to him, man. And I look forward to his next fight. But in this one, I got Jai Herbert coming out here. And uh, I think I think he's got a little something for Kyle Nelson, assuming that he doesn't, uh, that he doesn't get stopped early. Oh, shit. My boy Harry Davies in the house. My man Dan, it's your British geezer. Harry from the UK. Hope all is well in uh, ATL. Hey, Harry, it was really nice meeting you at the PFL events, man. Anytime you're back in ATL, you hit me up, man, and vice versa if, if I'm in the UK, man. So I uh, I look forward to it, and it was, it was really nice meeting you, brother. All right. Let me see uh, what's next on the card. So next up, we got... <laughs> A, a flyweight fight between Mandy Bohm, she's seven to one, representing Germany, taking on Victoria Leonardo, who's eight and four, representing the USA. Currently, they got it. Mandy Bohm minus one thirty. The comeback on Victoria Leonardo is plus one ten. Vegas was saying minus one eighty five Bohm, so maybe they know something, or maybe they're way off. I mean, here, here's kind of how I view this fight. You know, I'm gonna end up flipping a coin and, and, and seeing what the deal is, but I, I kind of view it as. Someone said, does he post his official bets anywhere for people to tail? Are, are you referring to me? If you're referring to me, um, my friend, you must be new to the show, unless you're not referring to me. But if you are referring to me, my bets have been tracked since 2015 on Bet MMA Tips. I always give them out here on the podcast, and then I always uh, tweet them out on my Twitter. So you should have no issues finding my bets. Um. Okay, yeah, he said it. Yeah, me. So I hope that explained it. Yeah, MMA tips slash best fight picks have what a seven year sample size. Yeah, just just go look it up. All my bets are there, brother. Um, but back to Boom and Leonardo. So I understand Leonardo's fought the better level of competition, the Miranda Mavericks, the Aaron Blanchfields, the um, what's the name of my girl? Um. Melissa Gato, Manon Fioro, okay, yeah. But, like, she got blown out the water by all those fighters, right? And with Mandy Baum, you know, did not look impressive in that UFC debut, but you know what? She's got outside her comfort zone. She moved to Vegas. She's at Extreme Couture now. So whereas, like, I've kind of seen the finished product of Victoria Leonardo, I think that there's still room for improvement for Mandy Baum. So it's one of those things where it's like, I don't feel comfortable laying chalk on Mandy Bohm, but at the same time, taking a shot on Leonardo, on Leonardo 
it's, it's like a saying, like, you don't fade shit with shit. And no disrespect to these ladies. It's just, it is what it is. You know, you don't fade a bottom tear, a bottom of the barrel fighter with another bottom of the barrel fighter. But if you do, I guess you should take dog odds. So I, I see that argument. But since everybody's on Leonardo, I'll just go with Bone. But it was more of like a coin flip type thing. And that's the last I'll say of that fight. Last but not least, kicking off the card, we got Nicholas Dalby representing Denmark, taking out Collagio Hannibal Silva, who was 14 and 3, representing Brazil. Currently, they got a Nicholas Dalby minus 250. The comeback on Collagio Silva is plus 210. Now, normally you don't see lines like this on Nicholas Dalby. However, Collagio Silva is going through a big decline. My boy is, what, 41, 42 years old? And at one point, he was that guy. I mean, he beat Leon Edwards back in the day, right? He beat Danny Hot Chocolate. This is a guy that takes your back one time. The fight could be over shortly after. This is a guy that his striking technique doesn't look the best, but when he cracks, he cracks. Guys feel it. When he gets on top of you, chances are you aren't getting back up. So in this dude's prime, like, um. Claudio Silva was the man a few years back. It's just I think he's way past his prime. And with Dalby, look, he's no spring chicken either. You know, he's 37 getting up there in age. But with Dalby, one thing he's always been known for is he gets in trouble early in fights, which is actually what I'm worried about here, him getting in trouble early uh, in this fight and not surviving. But what he's known for is he gets trouble in, in, he gets in early trouble in these fights, and he's able to come back. He's got this nice bounce, this nice forward pressure, these high kicks. And he's been having some decent performances like the Daniel Rodriguez fight. Look, a lot of us fought, thought that D-Rod won the fight, but the fact that it was as competitive as it was, I mean, you got to give props to Nick Dalby for, for that. Um, and then the Tim Means fight, another competitive fight. You know, uh, Dalby's got a win over Elijah Zaleski in Brazil, by the way, has a win over Alex Cowboy. We won't talk about the ref stand-up because you guys already know the deal on that. But still, like he's beat some guy, some tough guys. He went to a draw with Darren Till, lost first two rounds and then had the 10-8 in the third so he's fought he's he's performed well so now it's kind of his comeback and i think he gets this one a, a couple of years ago i would have taken the shot uh, on claudio silva i just think that he's past that point in his career now so that's all i gotta say so before i get out of here i'd like to answer some last few fan questions if you got them for me this is the last call but before we do that i'm gonna talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch Fight to watch. Let's go Jack Hermanson and Chris Curtis. I mean, Chris Curtis was a guy who was not in the UFC that long time ago. Not in the UFC a long, um, that long of a time ago. Um, am, I, am I stumbling on my words right now? Excuse me, guys. Not too long ago had he made his UFC debut is what, is what I'm trying to say. But Chris Curtis has impressed. This is a guy that's had a very long career, and now he's really putting it all together. Three-fight win streak in the UFC against formidable op uh, opponents. But now he's not welcome to the top 10 young man because Jack Hermanson's been in there with all the best guys. And Jack Hermanson, let's see how much hunger he's got left in the tank. So I just think it's going to be a great fight. Odds makers think so too. It's a pick em. Jack Hermanson versus Chris Curtis is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch is Nikita Krilov. I know for a fact that he's a guy when Gustafsson was at the top of his game that Krilov probably always dreamed about having a fight with Alexander Gustafsson, and now he's got that chance. Coming off two losses, uh, both guys are, well, Gustafsson, three losses, but Krilov coming off two losses, I know he's hungry to get back in there, and I know for a fact that a fight like this is one that's going to motivate him. So for that reason, uh, Nikita Krilov is my fighter to watch. All right, let me answer a couple questions. And uh, besides that, 
I'm gonna get out of here. So I'm scrolling up a little bit, seeing what y'all got for me. Um, and let me know what y'all got. So answer, ask me any questions, and then I'm getting out of here. Let's see. Someone says the Casey bed shitter of the week. Can't trust that guy. I feel you. Just can you trust Hadzovich? Um. Anybody excited for Nate Diaz's funeral? I am not not because I got anything against Nate. I actually love Nate. It's just the fight week hype is going to be insane. They're going to be talking a lot of shit, and it should be violent while it lasts. So I'm excited for it. Um. And they're getting paid, so that's a that that's a good thing. Um, let's see what else we got. The burn says, "When is the time to fade Taporia? You just got against Evloev against. You just gotta hit me up when his next matchup comes out and tell me what the odds are, and we'll take it from there." Um. He said Tapura and Georgian Spanish warrior. Yeah, he's he's like representing Spain and uh Georgia. He represents them both, but the dude speaks in Spanish. A boy said DFS Whisper said Kimura, that like button. I appreciate that, my friend. Everybody smash that like button for me. And if you're not subscribed, man, come on. Subscribe to the channel. Let's help it grow. Um let's see. Okay, Bob said, do you know if there's anywhere to find the fighter walkout songs on a playlist somewhere? Yeah, so I think MMA Junkie would, like, would write out, would, like, put an article out with, like, what songs the fighters walked out to, and then you can just go turn that into a Spotify playlist. Um, and then I think they came out with some other, like, some app, but I, I don't know the name of it, but at least, but but the walkout songs do get released if you want to put it into a playlist. Um. My boy Marcus Williams, shout out Marcus. He says, "Great show, Curtis Blades. That underdog money is the bet to make." We'll see, we'll see. I'm on Aspinall, but we'll see. I mean, you could be right. Um, <laughs> Herb Dean said, "Are you subscribed to Jordan Livitt's YouTube channel? He does great book reviews." No, I'm not. And for those that don't know, that MMA Tips page is not Jordan Levitt. So let's just go ahead and and scratch that. All right. Anyways. Someone said underdog most likely to pull it off this weekend. I don't know. I missed the underdog odds on Hermanson, so I would have said him. Hopefully a line flip in the main event, then I can say Aspinall, but maybe maybe another Paul Craig submission, right? Maybe something like that, but, yeah, I'm not sure. All right, guys. Well, thank you all so much for joining me on this very special UFC London edition of Half the Battle. I truly appreciate you all being here, and I truly enjoyed being here with you all. So thank you all so much for everything. It truly means the world to me. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. Do me a favor. Uh, comment on this afterwards. Share it. Retweet the tweets. All that stuff. All those little things y'all do help the show grow. So thank y'all so much for that. I'll be back next week for the next card. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.